And when I meet with a couple, no, with there's four uh, younger pastors I meet with every other week. We have a great time together. I just so enjoy them. And my purpose was not so much to teach them, instruct them, as it was for them to discover each other and to experience the fellowship that they could have with one another. So this last uh, Tuesday, I was telling them, I'm going to be gone now for the next two regular meetings, but you guys continue to read the pastoral epistles because Paul wrote that to young pastors. It might be good for you to continue to read it. Just keep reading the instructions. Uh, One of them had... uh, As a younger man, you know, a little bit of sarcasm comes out, and it's okay with younger people. They can do it. Old people better not do it. But uh, he uh, had said something about an issue in the church, and he had branded a particular lady in the church with a a name because she was associated with a particular characteristic of the church building. And she had said, if that moves, I'm leaving the church. And one of the elders said, can we get that in writing? So he said, I've, I've got to go, man. I've just got to go. And, and, and so somebody said, are you going to go meet with that, that lady? He said, oh, no, no, no. So then everybody else came, chimed in. And he said, I'll see you in, a, in about a month. He said, why do we have to do that? Alan's gone. Why can't we meet together? We don't have to meet at their house. Let's meet at Joshua Cup. I'm going, yes. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for that identification and that help for one another. It really was very important. So this morning, um, I think your bulletin says, standing in the need of prayer. And all of you are. I'm not going at the first group this morning. I asked how many of you needed prayer. Two people raised their hand. But I'm going to assume this church is not nearly that uh, that well uh, well along. I'm going to assume all of you need prayer. But today I'm going to particularly talk about your pastors and needing prayer. Because they do. Uh, It's not a question of that. Uh, it's four parts here, the instructions to pray, the character, pray for the character of the pastor, the work and the role of the pastor, and even with the attitude with which they work. So I'm going to tell you this morning that I, I purpose to encourage you to pray for the leadership of your church. I do not want to beat you with any kind of guilt over what you're not doing or what you're not doing better. I want to encourage you to pray. You already know that you should pray. You already know how to pray, but I want to encourage you to pray. I'm going to be very simple and very direct in my approach. As we have been uh, familiar with this church for so many years and and in a lot of ways um, extremely appreciative of the church, Having Glenn McFarland as one of my best friends that I've that I've ever had, um, we now love JD. We appreciate him. We appreciate that that he is is strong in his preaching, strong in his study, and accurate in his teaching of the word. And we appreciate Grace. Uh, last week, when he said at the end of his sermon. Now, I'm going to talk to you about this approach to end times. You don't have to agree with me in order to be a part of the praise team. I was jumping up and down with excitement. Yes. You don't have to agree with me in this particular approach to teach our children. But there are certain things that we have to agree on or we don't have anything in common at all. And that's, that's very exciting to me. Your pastor's are not absolutely complete and great in every aspect of their work. You may have noticed that. You have. They're not. Nor will they be, nor will you find one. Most pastors, I should say all pastors, are not this complete package of the dynamic, extroverted, eloquent, communicating, super-spiritual genius, fearless, handsome, visionary, vision-casting, funny yet serious, Pied Piper in their charisma type people. And you didn't get that with your pastors either. 
Everything else, did you get that? Tell him. Okay, he's not listening. The first time he listened, this time he hid. It is kind of embarrassing for the pastor to listen to this. But it's in the book. And I don't think I ever preached this about myself to my church. But I want you to pray for your pastor. If you're looking for the perfect pastor, he's not going to be here. He's going to be in another church. No, he's not. (laughs) Nobody has all these wonderful qualities. But a pastor is to be about the word of God and prayer. A pastor is to very courageously, strongly, and compassionately shepherd. A pastor is to lead the church in what the church is to become. In evangelism and in discipleship. Now, I know your pastors, and your pastors need to be prayed for. And I know the work of a pastor. Therefore, your pastors need to be prayed for. And I know this church, but I know a bit about the church of Montgomery County. I know the work. Your pastors need to be prayed for. So I'm going to be I'm going to be direct. I'm going to say just a couple things about the difficulty of the job. Bo Lane in the the web article "Why Pastors Quit" says 50 percent of pastors that start out will not last five years. And he says one of every ten pastors will retire as a pastor or minister in some form. Why? What do you think? Somebody can talk back to me. Why do you think one out of ten make it to the end? To the end. (laughs) I guess I'm over. I retired. What's so difficult about persevering? You can't please everybody. There is a burden in churches to make sure you please people. You've got a lot of people telling you what it would take. There's this tension sometimes of being in trying to do what's good for the church and what's good for an individual. It doesn't always work that way. Why do pastors not make it to retirement? It's a lot it's a lot of continual everyday pressures. Yep. Sure. Why else? Well, you know a big one. Yeah, time is a big one. Burnout. Lack of rest. Moral failure. You know that one. You know about that one. Pray for your pastors. 80% of pastors, uh, Lane says in his article, 80% of pastors believe the pastoral ministry has negatively affected their family. You probably heard the story about the church that had the perfect pastor until he got a divorce. Because he was working 28 hours a day. His wife never got any attention. Most pastors, 80%, feel unqualified and discouraged. We're always in over our heads. When we think we got something together, it's not as completely as we wanted. 70% of pastors fight depression. 70% of pastors don't have one, anyone they consider a close friend. The church expects the pastor and the family to be more moral than they themselves are. The profession of pastor is near the bottom of a survey of the most respected professions, just barely above used car salesmen. And there's a reason for that. There's a real reason for that. 1,700 pastors leave the ministry every month. The number one reason the church... For that is the church and the pastor are on different wavelengths about the direction of the church. Now, that's not always the church's fault. Don't hear me saying that. 
But working together is extremely important, especially with the leadership team. Over 1,300 pastors were terminated by the local church each month, many without cause. Uh, One of the, I guess I have to say he's still a young man. He was a kid in our youth group in the first church that uh, I pastored in Iowa. He moved to a, a large church in Ohio, and three months later, or three years later, 300 people left the church, and, and the reporting reason is, we don't like your preaching voice. It took them three years to figure out they didn't like the preaching voice? Is there something going on here? Yeah, there's always those kind of things. Most denominations don't have enough people to go around to fill the pulpits. It's a tough job. It's a tough job. It's a wonderful job, and I see my wife went go past. She decided to go over and watch the kids. That's the direct part. The simple part is this. I'm going to read a few passages of Scripture, several passages of Scripture to you that give instructions on how to pray for the pastors and the command to do so. Be, just be real simple in your thinking here. If the Bible says it and it's clear and it's one of the epistles, maybe you, you ought to do it. Kind of Just take that, that approach. I was telling folks earlier, I... Uh, Sherlock Holmes was a little frustrated with his sidekick, Dr. Watson. Dr. Watson couldn't see just the simple things. He needed to observe better, so Holmes decided to take him out and have a training session. He said they were going camping. Going to take a bedroll, two blankets, one to put on the ground, one to cover you up, and we're going to take this little canvas tarp in case, you know, we have any kind of rain or dew in the morning. In just a few minutes, Watson was snoring. Holmes woke him up and asked him, What do you deduce, Dr. Watson, as you lie there and look up? And Watson said, I see millions of stars, and even if a few of them have planets, and if a few of those planets are like Earth, there's life up there. Sherlock responded with, Watson, you idiot, somebody stole our tarp. Let's not make this any more complicated than it is. I don't want to beat you, but listen to what the Bible says about prayer. You might want to write these verses down. Romans 15, 30-31. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. I appeal to you, strive together Strive a hard word? Yeah, it's a, it's a very tough word. It's a working word. It's a blue-collar word. It's not having anything to do with elegance, elo- eloquence. You're striving together. You're praying together. You ought to pray for your pastor at home in your family prayers. You ought to pray for him in your meetings. That's Strive together. Work hard at that. Pray on the behalf. And he says, pray that I may be delivered from the unbelievers and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Pray for my safety, pray for my service. In Ephesians six eighteen to 20, right after this section on the armor of God, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Wide prayers. All times, all prayer, supplication. To this end, keep alert. Uh, ever have any difficulty with alertness in prayer? You mind ever wonder? So what do you do? I think the simple thing is to say, Oh Lord, I wondered again. I'm back. Does he know? What happened to those guys out in the garden when, it, when he went with him? They couldn't stay awake either. I mean, it's just, just relax and get back to it. Keep alert with all perseverance. We heard the word perseverance in terms of the work of the pastor. But there's a perseverance in praying for the pastor. Don't quit. Don't ever quit. Making supplication for all the saints. And he says, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For of which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, I have this certain standard of of what I ought to be doing in speaking. 
Do you ever picture Paul as being a kind of a little weak pansy type of guy? I picture him very bold. But he says, pray for my boldness. Pray for my boldness to preach. In Colossians 4, verses 2 to 4, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Watch and pray. Watchful in your thanksgiving. Pray for me that God may open to, to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of God. Pray for opportunity for me for preaching the word of God. And then he says that I may make it clear with which I ought to speak. I want, to, I want the quality of my preaching to be clear. I want the quality of my, of my preaching to honor God in that kind of way. In 2 Corinthians 3, 1 to 2, he says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of God may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. I want the word of God, he said, to be honored. I want it to be honored. Pray that the word of God would be honored through me. Pray. Did, did you get the word pray? Simple. Pray. First Timothy. First of all, I urge. First of all, then, can be translated as of first importance. I urge. Again, a strong word that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. All kinds of prayer for all kinds of people. For kings and those who are in high positions. God intends that those who are in positions of leadership in your church be prayed for. For your benefit. Why would you want an incompetent, weak pastor? Why would you want someone who never challenged you? Why would you want someone who didn't want more for you and had a greater vision for you and this church than you had for yourself? Why would you want that? Just a few weeks ago, J.D. preached from Hebrews thirteen seventeen: Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we're sure that we have a good conscience, clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you all the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Will you pray? You might put in that first uh, section instruction to pray, yes or no? Will you pray? Will you pray for your pastor and his caring for your soul? Will you pray for them as as they understand their accountability to God? Will you pray that they have accountability to other people? Will you pray that they have joy in their work? What a sad thing it is to see old, nasty, bitter preachers or pastors. You've seen some. Especially at that point they become experts to tell everybody else how to do it poorly. I I asked people to pray several years before I retired that I would not be a detriment to the church by being an old foolish expert. Instead I would come along and encourage pastors. Well, back in my day, forget it. You know, nobody cares. It doesn't matter. There are some very clear directives in these passages, not just to pray, but things to pray for. But I'm going to give you some more. And again, they should be about character, about the work and the role, or about the attitude of the pastor. In Acts 6, remember they had the problem with the Feeding the widows and the orphans in the church, or the widows in the church, was it just the widows? Yes. And they summoned the twelve together and got, got the disciples all together and said, It's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. In Acts 6, 1-4, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, Again, a strong word. Devote ourselves 
prayer and to the ministry of the word. It's okay for you to pray that your pastors will pray. It's okay for you to pray that you'll have praying pastors. It's okay that you will pray that you you pray for your pastors to study and present the word clearly and accurately. In 2 Corinthians 11 um, Paul says and apart from other things there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? Paul had gone through a whole list of things that had happened to him. You know, being shipwrecked and, and being stoned and left for dead and, and beaten and I don't know all the list. But he says, apart from that, this this daily care of the church. It's just hard work. I hurt for people. I don't know how many times that would be so aware when I got up on Sunday morning. Oh my goodness. What I'm going to preach about today is going to hit somebody right between the eyes. Even though I didn't prepare that for them, I knew it. I was preaching a sermon one time on on, uh, sexual purity. And a young woman came in and said on the very front row, I had already talked to her about her sexual impurity. So before the... before. uh, before I got up, I went to her and I said, uh, I, I need you to know that I'm very aware that what I'm preaching to you today is what I've already talked to you about, and I know it's going to hit you strongly. I don't apologize for it, but I just know that. And she said, that's all right, Alan, just go ahead. And I did, and I don't think it, I don't think it made much difference what I said that day either, but you're very aware, and you're very aware sometimes when you see somebody struggling, and you know the decisions they need to make, and they don't make them. And you know it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Or you counsel somebody over something. And they just want a band-aid to feel a little better. But they're not really interested in honoring God. And there's nothing you can do. And there's that's a painful thing. Um, when I was in seminary in the way early 70s we were told in one of our classes that a pastor could in the growth of a church probably handle uh, in pastoral care up to 215 to 20 people they don't say that anymore our society is disintegrated to to the place where people come into our churches and their lives are really really hurting now I'm not saying the pastor has to deal with all that. That's a whole church work. And it should be. But the pastor feels that burden. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, 19 to 28, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. It's interesting to say Timothy's genuine concern for them is also concern for Jesus Christ. There is a link between loving Jesus and loving the church. Some people want to separate the two. I just love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. Well, now hang on a minute. That won't cut it. If Jesus loves the church and we don't love it, isn't there some disconnect there? Have you ever had somebody say, well, I really, I really like you, but I hate your kids. What happens to you? Now, you don't have any illusions your kids are perfect. If you want to love me, love my kids and love my wife. I get it then. Um, I was telling Diane, I had an image this morning while I was preaching that I didn't use. But I remember a Sunday school teacher for our middle kid. Our middle kid is 30 now. And she was our 
kid that didn't talk much. She was the quietest one. And she always loved her mom, and she wanted to be around her mom a lot. It took her a long time to get over that. Um, I can see the image of her walking away, the little short kid with her hand in the Sunday school teacher's hand as they were going to McDonald's for lunch. That sense of security and safety. Paul says, Timothy's like that. I don't have many people like that. I don't have anybody else like that. I want to send the very best to you. I want people that love you. They're concerned about your welfare. And and it's all right to pray for everybody's gallbladder. Please don't hear me say we shouldn't. But there's other things to pray for. There's other things to pray for. How many times have, have we as pastors looked and say, they're going to die if they don't deal with that bitter spirit. They're going to poison everybody around them if they don't deal with that bitter spirit. If they don't quit. Timothy, he says, has proven worth. In First Thessalonians 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for you. And then he says in verse 4 or 5, 1 Timothy 2, 1, 2 to 6, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you. The gospel came not just in empty, simple words, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. As you pray for your pastors, pray that the Holy Spirit would empower their very lives, including their speaking. And he said, you know what kind of men we prove to be. Character matters. Character matters. It's not just the role we're playing. Um, Many times we have a disconnect in this with with, uh, parts of of Christianity. With with our Catholic friends, the the priest plays the role... They don't need to like the priest, identify with the priest, or anything else. Or the priest doesn't have to be a moral person. The priest has the power to do the stuff. If your pastor is disqualified to the point where you don't trust him, he has nothing. He has nothing. Pray that way. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1-11... He said, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But we've been approved. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. We boldly declare to you the gospel. We run away from from error, impurity, or any attempt to deceive. We speak not to please men, but to please God, the one who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with any pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Jay and I have have noted several times together. Uh, I only did Haiti a couple of times, and it it was always uh, interesting to be with Jay there. Is that a fair thing to say, Jay? Interesting? Okay. Several months ago, as, uh, as J.D. was preaching, he was talking about this kind of thing. And I was sitting over here, and I looked at Jay, and he looked at me, and we knew we were thinking of the same person. A pastor in Haiti who, when he became successful, became the big man. Humility was gone, and he thought people should uh, kind of recognize him as the Pope of Haiti. I overstated that a little bit. Not much. No. No, no, no. It's not about the pastor. And he says, we were gentle, in verse 7, among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. 
So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of Christ, but our own lives, because you've been very dear to us. And this picture of a mother with a baby. I was seeing John back there a while ago with the mother and the baby, and he said, I'm waiting for the bottle to come. And he's he a little, little nervous. But I was so privileged to watch my wife when the babies were born and to see her first touch that baby. An incredible thing. Now, some of the babies look better than others, to be honest with you, but, you know, and a couple of them just were, well, okay. They look a whole lot better later on than they did then. It wasn't ugly to mama. They were hers. And to see that first touch and the incredible emotion that comes out of that. They're dear to that mother. Extremely important to them. He says, that's the role of the pastor to the church. You're to be dear to him. And you probably ought to pray for yourself a little bit too, because, you know, but pray for your pastor in that way. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Our last, our last kids were twins. And we had a lot of people who were experts on telling us how to get them to sleep through the night. None of it worked. Every two hours, they woke up. And Diane was 40 years old then. It was very fatiguing. It was toil, labor. You know, first one would cry, and I would very dutifully go get her, diaper her, hand her to Diane to nurse. Go get the next one. Whether she was awake or not, we're going to keep them on the same schedule. That's one of the advices we got. (coughs) Diaper her. Take the first one, put her on my chest, and burp her. And say, we will not go to sleep. We will not go to sleep. And we'd sometimes have two babies in bed. Can't do it. It's hard work. Your witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. It does matter how we live. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to work in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He says, be like a mother, Timothy. Not Timothy, in 1 Thessalonians. Be like a mother, now be like a father. Be that tender mother, affectionately desirous, taking care, but... Be like a father. Exhort. Encourage. Charge. Tell them what to do. Tell them to say, that's enough. You can't do that. You can't go there. I warn you. I don't care how alive you feel with that woman that's not your wife. Leave her. You have no right there. You're a father. A father is to be strong and a father is to be involved. Do it. That's what he's saying. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1-7, he says, If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. It's not wrong to want to lead. It is wrong not to see how hard the work is. Leadership is hard work. And then he goes into, a, he says, an overseer, and we've, I heard uh, J.D. speak about this several times, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. You don't find anybody perfectly there. But think about them. Just even in terms of, of the relationship of husband and wife, always pray for your pastors and their relationship with their, with their wife. And then he goes in verse 4 and he says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, 
how will he care for God's church? There's this, this direction and training that the pastor is supposed to provide for his own family first. And then it says he must take care. And the word care there is the word that's used of what the Good Samaritan did when he got down and he washed and cleansed the wounds. The pastor is to many times in a very helpless way to change circumstances have an arm around you and say, I love you, I care for you. I can't change anything. I wish I could. It's, it's that kind of care. And I said this uh, the previous time. I will say it again. You don't pray for J.D. alone. You pray for Kelly. Don't you dare just to pray for him. And you pray for Hannah and Micaiah and Emmett and Zach. And you don't pray for Jeff alone. You pray for Shelley. And then Ben and Micah and Abigail and Ellie. That's their life. There's an extended family out there, but they have come separated from their families. And you're their life. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them to make good decisions. Pray for them to avoid the same things you want your kids to avoid. I said before, there's, there's, there's several things in, in, in our community, but pray that these kids know Jesus Christ and accept him in, into their lives early on. Pray for the uniqueness of each person and character. Pray that God will find them and give them places of service. I said in the first service, it's just a delight for me to watch your pastor's kids. I thoroughly enjoy doing that. And I've said before, watching sometimes during communion and to see them have communion with their arms around each other. And then I also said, every kid is special. Ellie is very evidently special. To watch her come in like she just owns this joint and it's hers. She's... And she's going to tell you it's hers. And just bouncing around here and bouncing around there. And she's home. And she should be. And, and I, was, I was saying earlier too that I remember one Sunday when um, she came up to her dad and she tugged on his, on, his, on his pocket. And he bent down and nodded yes. And she came up with a huge bunch of donut holes. All of them with the powdered sugar on them. And in just a minute, I punched Diane, and I said, I should be listening, but will you look at her face? Sugar from here to here all around, like she was made up. And I'm going, I love it. I love it. Pray for the families. Uh, and every kid is different. Our last grandson is uh, three at the end of this month. And he, he came talking. And he talks every breath, and he's very energetic. They have been wanting to have another son. Uh, the, our first two grandkids are almost nine years old. Uh, Boy-girl twins uh, came naturally. And then Elijah's adopted, and they were looking to adopt another child. So they got word last week they'd been selected to be the parent of another boy. So when they told the older two kids, Noah said, Oh, great, the boys will outnumber the girls in our family. And Belle was a little disappointed because she wanted a little sister to share a room with her. I don't know how long that would have lasted. but So they told Elijah, and they said, Elijah, won't it be fun for you to have a little brother? He said, I'd rather have a dog. So, <laughs> so, so you know, I can just, kids are different. That's just the way it is, you know. Uh, enough's enough, he was thinking. Paul talks in 1 Timothy 4 about the words of the faith and good doctrine and training yourself and toiling and striving and teaching those things and being an example and not neglecting the gift that's within you. If you heard all those lists in 1 Timothy 3, those are not ability tests. Those are character tests. But now he said, your 
pastors are gifted in certain ways. Everybody doesn't have the same gift. Your two pastors are not gifted the same way. In fact, uh, Jeff tried to help us all with that, and, and I took the test, and it said I should serve on the finance committee here. Ain't nobody in my life that's ever, ever considered that I should serve on the finance committee, and I definitely did not volunteer after I got that. But there's a gift that they have that should not be neglected. It says, practice these things. Keep working. And I said again before that I think, I think J.D.'s a better preacher than he was five years ago. I think he's getting better. He's working at it. He says, not just practice, but immerse yourself in them so that people may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this. It's this long process that the pastor's in. He says in 1 Timothy 1, fan into flame the gift that's within you. Keep, keep it there. And then in, in uh, 2 Timothy 2, he talks about um, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. There's this process of, of discipleship that takes place from the pulpit. There's this process of discipleship <clears throat> that takes place in small groups or individually. Counseling is discipleship. It's aiming you to, to be more like Christ. But discipleship takes place in the home. Do you pray for your pastors? Do you pray for your shepherds as they disciple their children? It's extremely important. Extremely important. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 16, uh, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. The only thing that changes people's lives is the word, the word of truth. And he says, study to present yourself. Do your very best in that regard. In 2 Timothy 2, 22 to 26, he says, flee, so flee youthful passions. And again, youthful passions are not just sexual passions, but they're all kinds of passions which draw you away. Passions from yourself to gratify your flesh, to move you away from God. There's lots of things as, as you pray for the pastor's kids and you pray for the pastors. The avoidance of pornography, the avoidance of, of that kind of, of thought, the, of, the avoidance of seeking fame, or the avoidance of money, seeking money. And you can, you can help with those things. You can pray. And, and, and I don't know, you may, some, some churches do a great job of helping their pastors not seek money. They don't give them any. So they don't have any problem with that. But your pastors didn't come here for the fame. This church is not known nationwide. They came because they believe God wanted them here. And not many pastors become well-known, well-respected. Um, so pray for them that way. Pursue righteousness in a disciplined kind of way. Pray that your pastors will pursue, will pursue righteous living says from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. You ever met an unkind pastor? Boy, I have. Have I ever been unkind as a pastor? Yeah. I've, I've said to people at times, well, I told you so. How much did that help? He must patiently endure evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. Do you pray for gentleness 
and patience for your pastor? I didn't say, do you give him cause to be gentle and patient? Don't push him, but I mean. And then he says in 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready to preach the word. Have it ready. Have it studied. Have it prepared. Reprove, rebuke, exhort as a father would. There are strong things that sometimes have to be said. But do it with complete patience and teaching. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. As God has called your pastors, pray that they would fulfill their ministry. And I believe when he says, do the work of an evangelist, probably evangelism did not come naturally to Timothy. There's lots of things that don't come naturally to pastors. Uh, I heard a a rural ministry pastor say one time that 10% of the work of the pastor... He loved so much, he would do it over and over to the point of exhaustion. Ten percent of it on the other end, he would try to avoid at all cost. And as a pastor, I can tell you there were lots of things I didn't ever want to do. I never wanted to do them. But this guy said, 80% in the middle is what makes you successful or not and effective. Will you be... I just heard faithful in the mundane of the 80%. Will you do the work there? And last in 1 Peter 5. um, Again, you've heard this repeatedly. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. As well as a partaker in the glory that's to be revealed. I guess... This is written from a shepherd to a shepherd, so I probably should be addressing this to J.D., but you pray for J.D. as I address this to him. Shepherd the flock that's among you. Not a flock you wish you had. Not a flock you hope you have. The flock that you have, not somebody else's flock. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I remember being on vacation. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. Now it's all vacation, right? I remember being on vacation and thinking, how many days did it take me before I was really on vacation? But then as I was driving home, of the anticipation of being back with the people that God had given me a love for. And maybe even a love that I didn't have before I knew them because God had given me that responsibility. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So that's the instruction. Don't dominate people. Appeal to people. Teach people. Patiently Maybe reprove, rebuke, exhort, but don't dominate. Be an example in your character to do so. And I would say, this is a sweet thing to J.D. This is a sweet thing to say to Jeff. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I hope you wrote stuff down about the character, about the work, the role, the attitude. And if you didn't, you can take it home. And I guarantee there might be some aspects of the character of of your pastors and the family, the shepherds of this church that you would want to write down. It's not always with supplication. Sometimes it's with thanksgiving. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, that you gave us someone who is. And about the work and the role and even about the attitude.
There was a pastor in Dallas who worked at a church for 40 years. He reserved the last Sunday to blast some people who had not been cooperative with him. And did more harm in that Sunday than you can possibly imagine. Can't happen. It's good for you to pray for them. Would you join me now? I thank you, Jesus Christ, for this church. I thank you for the history of this church. A church that has graciously accepted hurting people. A church that's welcomed people even for a period of time until they needed to go on somewhere else. Maybe back to the church that they left. I thank you for the leadership of the church in previous years in in that regard. Thank you for the gentleness and the patience from Glenn McFarland. And for the years that Glenn and Susie worked together here. I thank you for where the church is now. And we just assume, Father, that since the church is still here, that you have plans for it. We assume that you're going to use the pastors and their families toward that end. We pray for the character of these particularly of these men, but of the families, that they would be kind and gentle and honest and humble. We pray that as they accept the role that they take everything that they do well and work hard at it and continue to prepare and they sharpen everything they can do and get every kind of help they can get for the things they don't do as well. Then, Father, we pray that they have an attitude of joy toward this church and the work that you've given them. I thank you for them. I thank you for what you have done. We anticipate your work through them in this body. Amen.